This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. So Jim and I are busily away making some amazing new episodes of the Blank Podcast. So we thought, as a celebration of just passing our 150th episode, we dive into the Blank Archive and bring you some of our very favourite and most popular episodes to date. We hope you enjoy them, and we'll see you again next week with some new episodes. moments with some well-known people uh i'm jim daly and joining me for a very 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 special episode yes it's giles paley phillips jim how are you i'm good how are you i'm good excited i'm excited because we've reached a bit of a pinnacle yeah is it a pinnacle is that the right word i was gonna say milestone milestone is better than pinnacle pinnacle, because pinnacle's the top isn't it pinnacle sounds epic <laughs> yeah, I, I, like pinnacle, I think there's only one way to go after the pinnacle, pinnacle would it? be like we get to the 50 pods and then we're just done yeah that's what i mean you which we're not doing are we no no well <laughs> i have to cancel a lot of guests <laughs> um no so we are at episode 50 amazing i mean who'd have thought we would have got to episode 50 it's when we started out 18 months ago yeah. was it yeah yeah with john john ronson was the first one number good one. old john ronson yeah we've come a long way we have we haven't got any better, I don't <laughs> But, you know, we're still enjoying it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that's the main thing. <laughs> well, look, I, th- I guess... It's not the taking part that matters. Of course not. No. I think we should probably say thank you at this point. I know, it is the taking like... part that matters. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the winning that matters. Sorry, it is the taking part, yeah. That... <laughs> if we were people that won stuff all the time, yeah. then the taking part wouldn't matter, but we've never it won anything. It is the taking part that matters. It's the taking part that matters. And also, look, thank you to all, all our amazing oh, listeners. Oh, no, we've had... Yeah. For helping us keep going to 50 and sending us amazing messages. In fact, we're going to, for the 50th pod, yes. we're going to start reading out tweets at the start, aren't we? We're yeah, well, I think it should, really, because um, we always read them at the end. And I think, I always do wonder, if people, uh, they might be tired. You know, because our, our <laughs> yeah. pods are quite long, quite, you know, sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I guess, you know, I just think sometimes maybe they just think, oh, I can't bother to listen but to also, two twats again. <laughs> Why are they saying that? Um we're nothing without our listeners, so I think we should uh, bump them up the pecking order. Yes. So yeah. Yeah. I so think I think we, I think we should carry on doing it because it's good actually. Yeah. Also means that people know that we have other listeners. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got a lovely tweet here from Lexi J Lee, and it says, "Check out this funny, sweet, and really reflective podcast chatting about life's hard moments." Blank pod, and the best of all, they're British. Oh. So it's obviously an American. I think, where's Lexi from? Let's find out. New York. She's from New York. Lexi's from New York. So that's really kind of... Lexi I feel from. like in the current climate, being British is probably not a strong point. But, no, um, but we'll, we'll take that. Uh, yeah. Uh, we've got another one here, actually, um, from Lisa P. Um, it says, one of the bed... bed got another one here from Lisa P. It says, one of the best podcasts out there is Blank Pod. Giles and Jim are wonderful interviewers. 
Listening makes you feel like you are in the room and part of some private conversations. Oh, well, that's it. That's exactly what we're sort of trying to emulate here, really. Uh, that is really nice to hear. Thank you, Lisa. And here's one more from Jennifer Banks, who says, for anyone looking for podcast recommendations, Blank Pod is great. It features all kinds of fabulous, famous, creative people talking about their careers and how they get through moments when things aren't going to plan. That's actually a better intro than what I do on the pod. Yeah, maybe we should incorporate that. Yeah, thanks, Jennifer. We're going to use that. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's great. So if you do want to send us a tweet, um, our handle is... At Blank Pod. So please do. We'd, we'd love to, to hear And make sure you. you subscribe. I mean, yes. we say it at the end, but please subscribe. Because it helps us get up the, the charts. And in fact, we well, have climbed yeah. the charts in a couple of countries, we have, haven't we? Yeah. Well, we were, we, were, we were number one in Cuba, I think. <laughs> that and still blows my mind. We're in the top 30 in Ireland. Nice. Um, yeah. And I think New Zealand, we've gone quite high on New Zealand. So, yeah, we're really reaching. It's nice to know there are people in different countries yeah, listening, absolutely, listening yeah. in. So, thank you very much for everyone yeah. listening. Um, we haven't even mentioned today's guest no, no, for our really. 50th special is the legendary Dame Kelly Holmes. Yeah. An I absolute mean, legend. Yeah. Uh, well, completely not a British legend. You know, I mean, her achievements on the track have just, you know... They're just up there with some of the best athletes we've ever seen and produced in this country. Yeah, and she's a really inspirational person, and and uh, she does a lot of sort of inspirational speaking, and that really came across in the podcast. Actually, you can you can tell there's that inspirational yeah. aura to her. Yeah, and you know, it took her a while to find what she wanted to do. You know, I think she she sort of dabbled in athletics when she was in teen years, and then she she was really really um, passionate about joining the army, and she did that, and that gave her lots of other skills and stuff that she learned, you know, driving trucks and all sorts of things, I saying. Um, Good you know, Yeah, and um, and obviously she was able to get do, do the B, the PT stuff and get back into athletics again and, you know, come full circle and, you know, like I say, become one of Britain's, you know, best female athletes. Yeah, it's a good pod and I think we should dive straight in. We should. So this is Dame Kelly Holmes on the 50th Blank Podcast. <laughs> Yeah, so professional. I guess because you did athletics when you were in your early teen. Well, tw- about twelve, yeah, 11, 12. So you had yeah. some aspects of discipline anyway. Was yeah. going into the army not such a culture? Because obviously, some people are going to the army. That I know lots of people that have been in yeah. the army, and obviously you, they have an idea of what's going to happen. Yeah. But yeah, was were you already prepared a little bit for that? Um, I think. So, yes, so I was a junior international athlete, mm. actually. So from 12 to 17, I was an athlete. And then a junior international athlete from sort of 16. I think it was because I really wanted to be in the military. Yeah. As opposed to not knowing what I wanted to do and just go in just to have a job and then get a sudden shock. Like, oh, geez, you know, yeah, yeah. God, what they're doing. I really wanted to be in the military. So I'd probably take anything they threw at okay. me at the time, <laughs> you know. But, um, yeah, I definitely think that discipline of structure you know kind of training and pushing yourself all of those values came and then I think the army values came more into transferring back to the athletics mm. so it kind of came full switch. circle when yeah, you came definitely. back into athletics yeah. yeah yeah it's interesting because yeah because of I don't I can't imagine what it's like on a day-to-day basis when you're, what, what you know what are you doing day-to-day in the army <laughs> well, that's what's it. A, what's a regular day? Is there? People is don't there know, a regular do they? Day? Yeah. Well, there's. You know, you got to remember. There's 
over 300 jobs. So yeah. let's mimic civilian life and put everybody in uniform mm. and give them regulations and a bit more discipline and yes or no, sir. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, ma'am. Um, <laughs> be on time. That means five minutes before, not five minutes after. Yeah, yeah. You know, so if you change that social aspect, then there's a lot of opportunities for roles and jobs. So I joined what was back then known as the Women's Royal Army Corps. So there was two essential armies, a man and a woman's army. Same process of having promotion and rank structure mm. and all of that and training was hard. Uh, and in 1992, we amalgamated to become one British army. But my first role was actually, I was a heavy goods vehicle driver. So okay. I went training in Lekkon. So you do your basic training. It's changed slightly, mm -hmm. and I can tell you about that, but I did basic training in Guildford, um, and that was about army law, armed processing, learning how to, to shoot a weapon, learning how to iron, <laughs> which yeah, is yeah, one yeah. thing I'm a stickler for these days, yeah, I have yeah, to yeah. say, yeah, ironing. Everyone says, I don't, no, I'm doing my own ironing, thank you. I need those creases. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to be in trouble. Yeah. Um, you know, bullying shoes, and just getting to know about kind of what's expected of you in the army. Then I... Then I, I was going to be a heavy goods vehicle driver because I wanted to be a physical training instructor, but there was no intake. Mm. So it meant I went to Leconsfield, which is like a big transportation training centre. And so I got my heavy goods vehicle drive in license there. Mm. Then I got posted, which means going to a regular unit. And I went down to Southampton, which was a port of maritime. And I was basically a truck driver driving big goods from big ships and up to different places. And then worked in the um, almost like you know, being a mechanic, basically, fixing Land Rovers and all of that. Wow. So it's just a normal job, you yeah, know. Yeah. You end up doing the job that you train to do, and that's it. You're just wearing uniform, and you get paid to do that job yeah. and do it well. And then outside of that, you might go on guard duties, which is, you know, kind of guarding the barracks and standing in a little hut at the beginning at the front, like, with your weapon. Yeah. Uh, but then my job became, I then transferred to become a PTI, so physical training mm. instructor, so I had nine, another nine months training down in Aldershot. So when you go through training, it's just about anything going on a course. Mm. But because you're in the army, you, you stay in barracks. You, mm. you, know, you don't go home, you do your course. Then I became physical training instructor in charge of like a gym. So I could have 600 soldiers at a unit that I go to. And you're basically one of, a, a, at that time, only a couple or three or four PTIs who are in charge of getting that unit's fitness up to scratch and making them work hard. Was that a route you always wanted to take when you got in, though, was the PTI stuff? Yeah, yeah, so I wanted to be a PTI since I was 14. Yeah. I was just gutted. I couldn't get straight in. I was like, right, what other options <laughs> in me? I was so desperate to go in the yeah. army. Like, literally, I got my mum to take me when I was 15, 16, 17. And at that time, you could, you had to be 17 and nine months. Whereas mm. now there's a um, army foundation college in Harrogate, which I just oh, was in last okay. week, and you can join at 16. Mm. And, uh, I mean, I would... Pff, if that was available, I would have been like there. You know? <laughs> but I couldn't. So I had three choices. I had I left school with no exam results, uh, nothing at all. And I had three choices. One was to be a chef. I was like, oh, no, like your mum cooks. You know, it's like <laughs> an administrator. I was thinking, oh, how boring, sitting in the thing. And then uh, drive trucks. I was like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> I'm going in. <laughs> and that's what I became. <laughs> what was this desire to be in the army in any way, though? What was, where did that come from? I think a sense of belonging, structure, mm. career, purpose. You know, I wasn't academic at school. Mm. I was really wasn't at all. Running was a massive part of my life that gave me my identity. I didn't know necessarily what I was going to do, but I was just inspired, you know, because we had the... Back then, it was careers offices, mm. so it was different. You know, we had a... a in Tunbridge Wells, so I'm from Kent, 
it was a Where's cr- it going, Tom Did you? Yeah. Whereabouts? St. Greg's. St. Did St. Greg's. you? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my niece goes to St. Greg's. Really? Yeah, both. Oh, three of them. Oh, Two we... twins and a girl. Oh, how good. There you go. Oh, God, there you small go. World. Small worlds. Well, they used to have a careers office Amazing. in Tunbridge Wells. They came into our school, show, oh. showed us a video. Army, Navy and Air Force. Showed the Air Force. Didn't show flying planes. They showed the administration signs. Like, nah. nah. Showed ships at sea. Couldn't swim when I was 14. Nah. Showed the soldiers screaming and shouting like all the others going like under the scum on it over the 12 at war. I was like swinging on ropes. I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I, wanted be, I literally wanted to be both. Yeah, yeah, the one screaming and shouting and the yeah. one getting down dirty. So I was just inspired by that movement and what the military could bring. You know, it was a structured environment. Yeah. I'd have a roof over my head, you know, and just uh, I'd have pay, meet so many people, opportunity to grow and to train, uh, mm. to travel and meet yeah like say meet different people and it's scary you know you leave home get on a bus after getting off the station like you know you're on this bus with at that time and it would be the same now but it'd be men and women like 29 other girls who you're going to be joining all from all over the country you know and you're just like oh jeez what am I doing yeah. oh you've got your green bag and kind of that's <laughs> yeah, it yeah, and yeah. then you're led into camp and it's all like, <laughs> 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 like, like, like it's, it's a bit of a you're straight in and it's you know kind of on straight away yeah I mean it's yeah. changed a lot like I say now so they have an apprentice college but they also have like you can just join at any age um, yeah. as a young age and it's not as what you see on telly it's not as screamy shouting no, get no. down doing me 10 you have to sort of nurture a little bit more now just because society has changed mm. but essentially it's still about regulations and rules and being proud of yourself you know and you have respect respect for yourself and other people discipline and courage you know um, they're all values that I still probably take to this day, mm-hmm. but were really important in my role. My mate Ben, who I know through Palace, joined the army, and he said it was the making of him. Mm-hmm. But he was one of these guys that sort of came out of school, wasn't sure what to do, yeah, and so went for it. But he, it absolutely made him. And I think it, it does sound like a lot of values that are almost like common sense mm-hmm. things that make sense for everyone in society to have. Yeah, I mean, having gone up to the Foundation College and seeing these 16-year-olds training in there, you know, and I got the opportunity to speak to them, and I said, you know what, because they have a chance where they can sign off before they're 18, they can actually say, oh, I don't want to do it anymore. But, you know, they're getting full education. There's a lot of young people there that left school with nothing, and they, li- they go to this Foundation College, they do all their maths, their English, you know, they do everything. They've just got so much given to them. And then, obviously, about the Army Law... And you see some of them and you know it's going to transform them. You know, their little skinny little things look quiet and, you know, kind of head down. But it's just going to transform their lives in terms of that first starting point. Because a lot of young people these days do go in because they haven't got a structured environment at home. They don't know where they stand in society. Mm. They have no idea what they're going to do in life because they're not the university students. So they're going to be on the, they perceive to be on the bottom of the runner for jobs. And yet you see them go through that phase. So I'm now a, a colonel with the Royal Armoured Corps. And basically that means that some of these young people that train or go to the Foundation College, if they've chosen a Armoured Corps regiment, like driving tanks or with big weapons, small weapons, they'd come down and train. So I see them coming down there and they're now in effectively more in the army and you see them and you just think oh and you, their eyes are popping out their head like <laughs> oh my god what am I doing and I was sp- sort of speaking to these young kids to say you know 
don't think the grass is greener outside because you get a hard day in yeah. training at the moment. Yeah. I said, you've got an unbelievable opportunity in life to absolutely mm. make the first footings of your life so positive for you that w even if you only do three years, five years, ten years, when you come out, you get a more credible, everybody sees you as a more credible person, somebody they can rely on, somebody that's had a better background to society and change and those values mm. than anyone that's gone through university or on the street because you've actually got something, you did something, you took yourself away, you learnt a lot, you've come out and then, wow, you know, a lot of people look mm. at army people as people that, you know, are going to be great in the yeah, workplace, they know right? they've got that respect. Everything. They can probably look after themselves yeah. physically. They understand how to work as part of a team. Mm -hmm. um, and I think actually at a young age, that's really important because a lot of people took me a long time to work out like who I was or what I wanted to do. Mm. I think if you're getting those values young. You've worked yeah. it out, have you? Because <laughs> well, I'm still working on thanks, it. Thanks, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, no, um, You've then got your whole life to put those values into action. Yeah, and on the flip side of it, so I have a charity, which is uh, Dame Kelly Homes Trust. We work with disadvantaged young people in areas of deprivation. And... It just, uh, I don't know why it didn't before, but it occurred to me when I was in Harrogate, seeing all these kids, I was thinking, hold on a minute, that's a great outlet for our young people. So we work in the community, we work down on the ground, we have role models, which are sports people, who mentor all of our kids and run all of our programmes, but our outcomes aren't sport. We use sport around courage and that de determination yeah. and, and goal setting and yeah. all that. Um, our aim is to get them back into employment, educational training. And I suddenly thought to myself, oh my gosh, if I could get a link between my charity and say like Harrogate, there'd be so many of my young people, and we work nationwide, we've helped over 300,000 young people now, but if that link was really defined between here you go, you learn about life lessons, skills, yourself, you know, about commitment and respect and all of that, but from down on the ground, to have an outlet to go possibly to get your education in an army environment where you've got a roof over your head, you've got your food being paid for, you actually then get paid to be at that place. Yeah. Loads of my young people would just excel so much because they've got mm. so m they have hope. You know, they want, opp but what they want is opportunity to change, mm. you know, when you work. So I work from both ends. I work with kids that have nothing to young people that have a huge amount of promise to succeed and I like the whole fact that you can see a journey yeah. and I've seen day one of some kids who are at the brink of anything to get out of this world and to see them stand on a stage like speaking articulate with their suits on at the end of like our programmes you just think you are changing someone's life forever you must and be I, very proud yeah so my charity is amazing it's been going for 12 years now but also that link between the army, I think I can really make a difference to a lot of young people through that as well. And I know it wasn't for you because you wanted to go into it, but mm. in a way that's sort of a blank moment, isn't it? To sort mm -hmm. of tie it into the posh logo of the brand. Well done. Um, nice. So <laughs> 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 this is a professional. 50 pods in here, we're getting, we're getting yeah. used to this now. That is a kind of a blank moment for people that mm. might find themselves going to the army not knowing what they want to do. Kind of like, like a life blank moment. And, mm. it's, and I guess it's good that there is something that they can fill that blank with. Yeah, I don't want to see more young people know about it. You know, I'm the old stickler that, yeah, national service, please, thank you very much. And I don't mean that because of why they had to do national service before, because we're fortunately not in too many kind of war zones at the moment, but that whole piece of, as a young person, finding their feet, 
just kind of given a bit of guidance that actually life is about working hard and finding who you are and pushing and fighting for that. And if you're told to do something, well, you can actually respond in a way that, okay, yes, I'll do it. Not now, I've got an attitude. Because actually, if you want to get on in life and in business, especially and in work, do you know what? Sometimes you have to play the game and you've got to, mm. you know, you've got to step up to the plate and not have the attitude that it should be just given to you on a plate and, you know, life is different now because of our medium and how we connect and get things mm. easy. No, no, no. True life is work hard, work hard, work hard, and then you'll get somewhere. Which was never my attitude at St Greg's, unfortunately. Oh. Yeah. Did you just float, just float through? Yeah, yeah, did my own thing. Yeah. Were you good, but though? Look at me now. Were you good, <laughs> were you good academically, though? I was okay. Do you think? I was okay. Yeah. Was so you sort of that middle ground. Uh, yeah. And you know you can almost sort of like get away with being unseen in that middle ground a little bit. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so you're well. not the one like me sitting out getting kicked out and no. you're not the one that's like, oh, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. You're, you're kind of just doing it, yeah. Invisible. <laughs> yeah. yeah that was, that was well, I struggled um, academically at school and I found solace in sport and, and music were my two things, so creativity but also sport. And obviously you were into sport heavily, like... Yeah, and the yeah. athletics. Why, why was it athletics? Was there other sports as well? Was it, or was it always the athletics that was something that yeah. appealed to you? When I was a kid, I tried everything, and I lasted probably one day or a week. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, no. <laughs> You're definitely not delicate enough to do ballet. Yeah, exactly. And I used to do majorettes, that whole flipping of oh, the really? thing. Oh, wow. Until they brought us uniform, and then it was like brown. I mean, like brown, fluffy hat thing. And I was like... Like, you know, like, like no, buffalo. I'm not going to wear it. You know what I mean? I'm invisible in this uniform. Yeah, yeah. I can't do this thing. So I gave up. But um, no, and then I took up athletics because my PE teacher told me I was good. You know, I always believe there's one person in life sometimes that can make a difference yeah. to someone this like... This comes up on the pod a lot. Oh, does yeah, about it? about mentors, yeah. Yeah, and that's why essentially the charity is, is it's one person that can make you change. Mm, but that's yeah. because I had it. Somebody telling me, do you know what? You can be good if yeah. you believe you can be good and if you concentrate and then put the work in. Yeah. And and that was my PE teacher, Debbie Page, who still works at the school now. How can oh, you still amazing. work at the school after all 30 odd years? Wow, no, I mean, Jesus. Yeah, right. Anyway, so, um, yeah, so I just knew I, I was just good at running. And that, like I say, gave me an identity, brought me alive. She got me down to an athletics club, told my mum to take me down there. My mum dropped me off and says, like, don't give up on this one because, you know, <laughs> don't give up on this one. And I didn't. And I just, like, bouncing around. And I tried high jump, no, failure, you know, long jump. It's hard, though, isn't it, high jump? I tried them all, yeah. <laughs> no, no. Uh, and then I could just run, you know. And I think within, so I was winning all the school sports days. But then I went to, like, English schools, champ, uh, like, county champs, won, and my first English school, six months after starting, I won the 1,500 metres, you know, and then suddenly it's just like, oh, this is brilliant. Mm, this yeah. is my thing. Yeah, yeah. and then you get the yeah. knockbacks and the ones you don't, but instead of being thinking, oh, I'm not good enough, I was like, right, you know, <laughs> okay, I want to win. Yeah. And yeah. it just, I knew that so was me. the winning me. bug sort of came. It really was, yeah. and getting better and seeing that you're better. Yeah. You can only get better by training. So I used to bike to school three miles because we didn't have a bus from our school, and then bike to training, do my training, bike home. That was my life throughout my whole school. I only went to school for friends and to get to the track or to do the training, sport. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so then I became a junior international athlete by getting selected to go to the Mini Youth Olympics in Holland when I was 16. And uh, actually, I was nearly 17, yeah, I might be 17, actually. And 
I got selected for the 800 metres and I used to sort of run more 1500 metres at the time. So this was sort of my first 800 metres and I won gold. I stood on the rostrum like national anthem playing, Amazing. British flag flying, gold medal, thinking, oh, I wonder yeah. if this comes true. <laughs> but because I was inspired when I was 14 by the Olympic movement. Sebastian Coe was my hero at the time. And I was watching him in school holidays, you know, and Olympic movement give me goosebumps. I knew that day I was going to be Olympic champion. Really? Yeah, when I watched him, I knew. I just felt this weird thing come through my body. I was like, I'm going to be Olympic champion. And I went back to school, told my best friends, Kerry, Lara and Kim, I am going to be Olympic champion. They were like, yeah, you probably are, because it's the only bloody thing you're good at. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> They're still my best friends. Huh? <laughs> friends yeah. is this wonderful way of telling us uh, yeah, the truth. The truth. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I remember when I, I, I was into football as a kid, like massively. Mm. I remember telling my friend Callum, we used to go, same sort of thing, go to, go to school, come home from school, get off the bus, go to the local park and play football every day yeah. from when it was January to oh, December. Just, uh, yeah. yeah. We got, even if it was like five minutes. Whatever the like, weather. I remember saying to him, I'm <laughs> so sad. I'm going to play one day for England under 21s. I didn't go <laughs> big, I didn't go no, no. I went, I'm go under It's good to hold back sometimes. Mm-hmm. I was probably about 14 at the time, so I needed to be in an academy somewhere at some time. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't, and uh, didn't work out. And Callum was very supportive, but yeah. in a sort of be realistic tone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> didn't, you, didn't happen. You, you can, but. Yeah. <laughs> you know, might not. I think it's good yeah. for young people. I, I I feel a bit disappointed for young people who have just no idea what they want to do because mm. that's it. having two dreams, like the army and the athletics, set where I was going. Yeah. And it, all these people seem just a bit lost. Yeah. I don't know if they think it's so enormous out there now because they get exposed to the enormity because of social. You yeah. know, it's when you yeah. weren't on that or years ago kind of get to know about local jobs or yeah. might mm. be inspired by someone and that's the only route because you don't know anything else. Whereas now you see a, sometimes a false impression of what the one, you know, their sort of role models and heroes are people that have really done big, you know, yeah. earning a lot of money yeah, right on the yeah. stage or Kardashians or whatever it is, but they don't see that a lot of people up there have either, one, being given it to them on the plate yeah, because yeah. they've either got a family connection yeah. or something handed back down to them or money given in a will or something. They don't see the yeah. what happened at the start. Mm. And or, the, that it, or that it's fake. Or that it's just not real and it's just mm. not real life is it we know that you mm. wake up you go to work you do your job yeah. <laughs> you come back yeah. whatever that job takes you is your destiny because you've worked hard and you decide you're going to go and I just wish that they'd have a bit more or um, like passion because I think a lot of people succeed because of passion for something not falling in not always just falling in something because that's the only thing they wanted to do yeah. mm. you know I think those that kind of have that do you know what? I'd really like to do that because I feel like it could be my journey. It's my thing, Even yeah. if they don't go that way, but just having something to grab hold of would give a lot of younger people, I think. And not just younger people, older people that are stuck in their ways like, it's all I think I can do. Yeah, I think well, some people need to take risks. Well, and also, when you're talking about people joining the army and getting those skills young, but actually mm. it's, ne- it's never too young to change it. If you do have a passion that you've been pushing down to something or not been working towards you can still give it a go well if only it's too late and if only is the worst feeling ever you know because you always question yourself you've got that pit in your stomach the unknown is awful i always live with if only it's too late because yeah. you know it's better to give something a go and say well at least i tried yeah exactly. it might have gone wrong which yeah. a lot of things i've kind of gone wrong <laughs> and shit, you know <laughs> what did i think of that yeah but uh, <laughs> but um yeah i just think that sometimes you need that 
ability to have just a vision that I'm going to try it out, you know, because why not? And sometimes but trying it out is, okay, that opportunity was available to you then. Some people would never even have got that yeah. first mm. opportunity or knowledge or understanding. So don't dismiss things. There's a lot of things that you'd look at and go, no, it's not me. But that's because you kind of already know yourself a bit. Yeah. Well, if you don't, then try things because you never know where they're going to take you or the people you're going to meet yeah. or the other doors that will open once mm. you take that step. You know, I always just think like the world is full of opportunities. If you see it and you are willing to take it and it doesn't matter how quick that finishes or you continue in it, at least you say, well, I tried. Yeah. No, yeah. it wasn't for me. Much like doing this podcast. <laughs> yeah, we started looking at us now. There and you I, go, see? Now you know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> well, 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 well. <laughs> yeah. Still winging it. Um, but obviously you stopped doing the athletics for a while. Mm. Was that hard to like... I mean, obviously you, you had another mm. thing that this you wanted should. to fulfil, which was yeah. doing the army stuff. But obviously the athletics was a huge passion for you. Was it difficult to give that up? It was. My coach cried. I mean, like literally cried before I went in, Yeah. Because he just, he just, he knew my dream was to be Olympic champion, and clearly by then I was already a really good junior athlete. Yeah. He didn't want me to go in. Well, You've been on the like, rostrum by then. I, I know, yeah. you know, like, yeah. yeah. And so he was like, yeah. "You're just ruining your your chance to be good." And I was just like, "Yeah, but it's a career, you know. I need to earn money. I wanted to yeah. do a job. I didn't want to stay in hope, like doing nothing at home or." just bobbing around mm. um, and I mean I'd already been I was working anyway at that stage because I was actually working for a, a I don't think I, I don't know how much I've even said this like a nursing sort of home place okay the nursing assistant for people with back then mental health issues mm -hmm. well it wasn't called that then it was yeah. called horrible names but uh, mental health issues adults and uh, so that's where I started sort of my more empathy charity type work as well from being really young and knowing how mm. much people are vulnerable yeah. but um yeah so I want so I gave up my athletics and I wanted to join the army without them knowing that I was good at athletics because I really wanted to do my job I wanted to just yeah. beat in the army and just embrace it but of course I was beating everybody so they never knew <laughs> I was a good runner but I was a shit swimmer and so I remember just thinking like we had, you had to swim to part, to get through your basic training, 25 metres. And I was thinking, I'm going to die, like, yeah. literally, you know. <laughs> and um, so I thought, well, how am I going to get to the end? So I doggy paddled the whole way to the end. <laughs> I came out, I had an afro at the time as well. Yeah. I didn't even know how to look after my hair back then, you know. I was from a girl from Kent, not from yeah, London. Yeah. So, like, you know, big afro. Yeah. Don't know how to do it. I dragged myself out, like, literally like a drowned rat. And they, <laughs> and they were, like, looking at me. And all my mates were laughing, all the others. And yeah, the, yeah. Um, like training, and I went, they didn't say how to get there, they just yeah, said, yeah. get the other end, yeah, yeah, <laughs> they yeah, can't yeah. fail me, <laughs> so, no, I still yeah. counted, so I got yeah. at that end, yeah, <laughs> but, um, so then I was doing all this, then they asked me to go in the army team, I was like, no, I just want to do my training, so then a couple of years later, they encouraged me to do the army championships, and I still hold some of the records, chunk, wow. um, <laughs> many years on, and uh, then I started competing into services, but it was just because that was the army's, set up you know mm. I'd still do my job I'd just do that and then go back and then it was actually doing an army cross country race do you know what? And I found a picture and it's one day will come out it will probably transform people's life oh, I was so fat 
Honestly, I looked at this photo, I was like, oh my God. So I look, I was so big, because when I was in the army, obviously I was young, so you're a bit puppy fetish, aren't you? But I was drinking, you know, kind of like, I assume it's like what people at university sort of let go yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah. And my first couple of years in the army, we had what's called the NAFI, the Navy, Army, Air Force sort of, I don't know what it, was, what it was called, what the I was, but it's where you get a drink. Yeah. <laughs> like a yeah. I used to just do all that. And I remember seeing this picture, thinking, oh my God. And I remember this guy standing on the side, like another year later, shouting. I could hear this guy going, go on, Carol. And I thought, I have no idea who this guy is. And I was now in York, posted in York. And I was now a PTI. And this guy just kept phoning. These girls were getting so annoyed with me, saying, just pick the phone up to this guy. I was like, yeah, hi. Hi, Kel, 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 I, I remember you when you were a junior athlete. Come down to London, you need to start training. And I was thinking, oh, no, I don't want to, you know. So I, wanted, I was inspired by the Olympic movement again when I was 22, watching a girl that I used to run against compete, thinking, oh, you know, she's like at these Olympics and I want to do it. But it was almost yeah. that thought of how, you know, I didn't really understand that world anymore. Yeah, yeah, I was an army soldier, so yeah. you know what I mean? Anyway, I ended up going down to London, and he invited me to the Notting Hill Carnival. Now, I had no idea about what Notting Hill Carnival <laughs> was. As I said, I grew up in Kent, <laughs> you know. I come down and I was just like, oh, my God. Now, you know, I'd been up in York for uh, nearly three years, you know, got a Yorkshire accent. I was just like, what are you doing? You know, yeah, because, you know, all I know, my mum's was white, my step. My brothers, my stepdad, everyone was white around me. So I go to the Nottingham Carnival. I was just like, Jesus Christ, what am I doing? I felt like I stood up for a sore thumb. Clearly didn't. Anyway, so he said, oh, join this club. So I joined this club and I started running again. And just literally just came back properly running, as in did a track session. Yeah, yeah. Died, because most of the time I was in my combats with my webbing and my weapon yeah, and boots yeah. running. Now I'm like on a track again. Yeah properly training and I was like wow I'm actually right at this yeah. you know and so it kind of reignited that flame a little bit got back into it and within six months of actually athletics training I got selected for uh, UK championships I now get announced as Corporal Holmes I didn't know anyone clearly a lot of people didn't remember me and I went and won. And it qualified me for the World Championships. Suddenly I've gone oh, for like, oh what the hell? <laughs> so I'm now at a World Championships thinking, this is like surreal. So, yeah, so in a really fast. Yeah. Really like, fast. Within yeah. six months, I got back as an international athlete. But I wow. used to use my leave to go away and train because I fundamentally, for me, I was a soldier and I had a job to do. Yeah. So I used to use my leave, go away. And then, yeah, the following year, got back into athletics, used to get on the train, go down and see where's an Ealing, come back up use my leave to go and compete again, get selected, and then the next year I was Commonwealth Games champion and European silver medalist. However, two things that really struck me about being a leveller, after that World Championships, I came back into barracks, I forgot I changed my guard duties, so I'd come back after watching, like, Linford Christie, Sally Gunner, all these, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, at the time, like, the best Olympians, you know, British champions, and... I was there, I think, and I was still sort of like overwhelmed by this movement, yeah, you know. Yeah. I get back to thing, they said, you're staggered on tonight. So the next thing, I'm back after this world champs glory <laughs> in my hut with my weapon, combats, <laughs> two o'clock in the morning, fog coming down, everyone taking the piss because I'd been out gallivating. And then yeah. after winning the Commonwealth Games and European silver medal, I went back in, I was now at Aldershot. 
and uh, I had to umpire around as much because I became a, I was a physical training instructor by then. <laughs> I came back in and you know, I got these two medals. I thought, yeah, yeah, nice, but you got yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> around Stop as much. Stop going on about it. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a leveller while I was yeah, in the yeah. believe me. <laughs> but yeah, it was good. It was all really good, you know, and I went through my career. Being, I went to my first Olympic Games. I was 26, still in the army. Got a stress fracture, came fourth, very disappointed. Mm. Following year, I was world number one by five seconds, still in the army ruptured my calf tore my Achilles at World Championships and then I ended up saying I need to get out of the army because I yeah. could not do both yeah. 100% and I'm a 100% on athletic yeah. person. I was going to ask, when did that yeah. sort of start becoming too much? Yeah, at uh, 97. Uh, not, not when I was 97. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're looking good for 97. Yeah, so um, yeah, I decided that I can't do both really good and I wanted to always gain respect by that you have to kind of yeah. do your thing, you know yeah. what I mean? So, um, yeah, so I got out. And I guess both those things, you can't, you've got to be 100% in a way, haven't you? You can't be Yeah, I mean, I was lucky I got promoted and, yeah. and I ended up getting an MBE yeah. services to the military, which I was really proud of because I knew I did my job well. I never yeah. wanted just to be known as someone getting promoted because you yeah. ran well. Yeah. And I, I hold that really close yeah. to my heart. But athletics is there's a timeline for sport you know there's always going to be an age yeah. when you just couldn't you're not going to do it anymore mm. and i kind of knew that in the back of my head that that's why i'm not in england under 21 what about masters yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds to me like being in the army yeah contributed so much to, to getting to where you are now mm. yeah in lots of ways yeah Lots of ways I think about how I feel about things and my attitude to life and just working hard to get where you want. But also definitely the values about respecting yourself and others mm. because you have that obviously in the, the army because you have to have that respect because of the rank structure and also, you know, if you're in a vulnerable situation or out, even if it's on an exercise, you know, you've got to take responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> you're not going to go, you know, shoot your mate that's next to you, you know what I mean? Yeah. If you don't yeah. go up and like, oh, I'm on it. But in the, mil uh, in the athletics, you know, essentially everyone's training at the same level. And when you're at Olympic Games, top eight, top 15 in the world are standing on that track and you're against them. There's not a lot in the final that's ever going to split you. Mm -hmm. So essentially, you've got to respect the fact that somebody else is as good or if not better. And if you don't take that respect, you've, you've lost it. And so I always take those values. But I think just, yeah, working hard and I suppose resilience, not less that wasn't an army value, but there's definitely resilience, you know, when you're stagging on at mm. silly hours or you're getting soaked and sodden, you know, when you're doing on exercise yeah. or you're I was taking PT at five o'clock in the morning and still taking PT at eight o'clock at night because I lived on barracks. That was your life, yeah, you know, it didn't yeah. matter whether you're doing 24 hours or eight hours, mm. you're, mm. you're just there. Yeah. So you get that element of resilience from a job that I had, but then obviously with athletics with the highs and lows and ups and downs, you can give up really easy. Yeah. You know, you get injured and then once telling you your career's over you can either believe it or go no nah, that's not where my destiny is and that's yeah. why I, I think I got a lot of just power as a young person going in the military then as a woman then as somebody that had rank and then went into athletics with that attitude that okay I've got to work hard for this as well but actually I can push and so definitely resilience for me being an athlete and getting injured helped because of that kind of I was you know I was a Army girl, yeah. <laughs> let's face it. But, you know that's, but that 
I suppose normalize it, the normalization of that thing being a human element has to start to come in somewhere, doesn't it? You know, and no one's invincible. Well, yeah, that's true. As much as we want to be. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But that resilience, I think, is interesting because I think that's something that could be applied to a lot of people doing a lot of jobs in other industries. People listening mm. to this podcast, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We talk about blank moments and people struggling with various things, creative moments or mental health moments. Yeah. But I don't know, a bit of resilience sometimes, maybe to, or maybe it's perspective as well, maybe resilience brings perspective with it sometimes to where you are or where you've got to. Yeah, yeah, and I think, I always think that if you, at any stage, you say about blank moments, so whatever stage that is where somebody's kind of just, I have no idea who I am, what I'm doing, how I can do it, why I'm doing it, whatever their question is, I think sometimes looking back for where you've come from should be a part and parcel of that looking forward because sometimes we're always in that here and now. And whatever's happening now, we're always like either, yeah, I'm on it, or yeah. this yeah. is hell. Yeah. And what we don't then look back on, especially if you're not happy with it, is the, the times where actually it was okay because we have always had those. Some, you've always done something that you can actually hold on and go, actually, do you know what? I'm all right. Yeah. Or I've got through this before. Or I can cope. Or I can. And I think it's those re- reminding yourself of those when things are really not looking good. And it's hard to pull back on them, but I think it's something that you can definitely do. And then also having like a little empowering moment. Like I have this thing where it's like, I've, it's two words, but I use them in all different ways. So you can either use it in a, I'm so pissed off way, like, the two words are come on so sometimes I could be like in a car and I could be driving and some arsehole in front of me and I'm like for fuck's sakes come on like, get on I'm on the rush you know what I mean or as I do a lot of the times when I'm in the car I get this little like I get excited about something I'm thinking like, you know like, yeah, like, yeah. like oh, and it's just like this buzz that goes around my, my whole body and I'm just like Kroon! and then I've got this other bit where sometimes all I want to do is shout at myself because I'm with, like I'm I know I can do it but I'm like come on you know like real mm-hmm. kind of like shouting type yeah. moment yeah. and I think everyone if they can find that little bit that's their driver but it, it can always be a driver in a way that's exciting because it's making you like giving you that passion to go yeah. or the driver you're kicking yourself up that ass yeah because we all need it. Yeah. Sometimes we shouldn't rely on other people to give it to us. Sometimes it should become within ourselves to be the driver and the force that goes, right, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Because we've all had times where we've just so just despondent or emotional or really just upset mm-hmm. or whatever in life. A lot of us have had them all different levels. But essentially we go through life, living this life to try and better whatever we do. And so actually you've got to gain some of the things that most of the time our lives are just to drive, keep forward and keep living. Yeah. And then you've got to find that bit that's going to do it. So I just kind of just go, right, come on. You know, come sometimes, on. I yeah, love that. Yeah. yeah. Come on. Yeah, you come can on, have it. Yeah. In a, come on, Charles. But you can have it. You know, it's like, come yeah, like, yeah. I, just, I, I like that one the most. Yeah. <laughs> the, the one where yeah, it goes like, through your whole body. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and I do. I, I find myself doing it because I, I and I know I've said it for years because um at the end of the Olymp so at the Olympic Games right so just in case any interest on there there's listeners Olympic Games you have a stage big stadium outside of it you have the warm up track in Athens we had two warm up tracks. Uh, relevant but we had two <laughs> and they have what's called like first call so you go there and yeah. they call up the uh, event you go in they check uh, what you're wearing so as an athlete spikes they check that you haven't got really long ones you've got the track spikes yeah, yeah. your clothes haven't got branding shouldn't have they take yeah. away your kind of 
phones and all of that sort of thing. And then, they, and then you go back, continue a warm-up. Then second call, you're called up again, you go underneath the tunnel, go to what's called second call. It's also the last place to go to the toilet. So they have these ported loos, right? And this is Athens. So just bearing in mind, I did 800, 800 and 1500. Heat semi-final, heat semi-final. So for the 800 and the 1500 heats and semi-final, I always went in portaloo number one. Because now, of course... Yeah. I've got to do it. Yeah. The, you know, whether it's superstition, I don't care. I'm going in Portaloo number one. Yeah. It worked for the 800. It's going to work for 1500. I get to the final of the 1500. They call up women's 1500 meters finalists. Somebody's in Portaloo number no. one. Seriously. There was nine other Portaloo. Did someone, I someone caught in on to the fact <laughs> yeah. Kelly always goes yeah. in number always one. Always going into number one. Portaloo. I'm going number right. one. They're surviving there. So they're like, <laughs> I know, right? So there's all these, there's nine other ones. But no, I am yeah. not going in another one. I'm queuing. So I knocked, I actually knocked on the door. This really? You big old right. booth had come out. Like, I was like, oh. What, really shop put like, it Yeah, like something <laughs> like that, right? So I went in, obviously, went to the toilet. Yeah. But there was this little mirror on the inside. And that was the moment, this thing. I got up and I looked in the mirror. I was like, come on! <laughs> like, that, like, literally, I'm screaming at this mirror like myself. It was almost like, oh, I'm going to, you know, kind of really revved up. And I went out and I won the 1500. Yeah, 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 so yeah, yeah, there yeah. you go. I love that there was someone else waiting outside. Like, yeah. This person's really enjoying the yeah. show. I don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so come on, you can, on you can do this. You can do this. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, I've got a race to go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. I'm going to use time on. Because I, I find it sometimes if I'm, I think I say it more, most of myself when I'm having frustrating moments. If I'm doing something stupid, I can like, Come on, Jim. Yeah. Almost like a sort of, you know. In a negative way, you mean, right? Probably like, quite like negative. trying to bring you out of a negative yeah. situation. Yeah. 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 Kind of almost kicking yourself. Yeah, kicking myself. And you can have bit. those, but I think like if you can have one where it's like a, come on, you can do it and turn it into the positive where it's pushing you mm. forward yeah. to do the things you really want to do, yeah. then it can be a driver. And a, yeah. and people have different words and that, but you find, find something that's your driver. So but what's that like when you're, for example, when you have a bad injury or something like mm-hmm. that? Yeah. It, much harder to do the come ons when you're, yeah. you know. Of course. But I think it's also like, yeah, a lot of things don't come into your head when you're in a bad place. Let's mm. face it, only negative things, yeah. like yeah, yeah. down on yourself. It's really yeah. easy to get into that spot. Mm. And I think at that time, I don't think you really even think about anything outside mm. of that other than, say, like an injury, especially in sport, when it's your career, your livelihood, your dream, ambition, mm. Mm. you get injured and all you can think about is everybody else at your level. Is competing and going for the glory and the medals and all of that lot, mm-hmm. and you're stuck on a yeah. bed. It's yeah. just, just, uh, well, frustrating is probably like two easy words, <laughs> but you well, know, debilitating. debilitating yeah. Yeah, yeah, debilitating. It's kind of just horrible. And yeah, see, I wouldn't necessarily think that I would shout my come on thing, like be frustrated with it and sort of talking, but I think it's more that. Wondering if you ever get out of a space is really hard. You know, like when I was injured, I'd be full on like this injury's got to get sorted. 
get this injury, I'll go to the physio, you must, uh, you know, and you're just going and it's constant. You're like, all you're wanting to do is get back. So you carry on training. And the thing is what I think helped me definitely at the early stages of injuries, and I had seven years out of 12 years as an international athlete, we had bad injuries, plus glandular fever, tonsillitis, two mm. operations on my stomach, all these things wow. that no one really knows about. Yeah, I still had a passion and a driver. So yeah. having the goal was definitely my lifesaver. I definitely would say that. But I learned very quickly that having an injury doesn't stop you tr training. I can't maybe do anything that affects yeah. Achilles tendon, but I've got the rest of my body. Yeah. So in my mind, it was always like, turn it into a positive. I can't do that, but don't. if you stop, then you're not going to get mm. back. Yeah. If you keep going and know how to run, yeah. it's now down to the professional to sort that out. So yeah. it's a slightly different approach being an international athlete of it. But I suppose the difficulty is, is that when you're at that level, you get injured, it just becomes such a bang because you've, you've been going up to the point where all your focus is on that one championship. Yeah. Everything you do, every training yeah. session, every every food bit of food you put in your mouth, the yeah. amount of times you sleep, your ice baths, they're all to guide you to that one moment and then suddenly the chances you're not going to get to it. Yeah. So you have to either fire yourself up and go, I'm still going to get there. Mm. If I give up, I'll never know. It's the same thing. If I give if up, I I'll never know. But if I keep going until the point where physically you're not, because you can't get selected, you don't get the time and you're not even running. But I always got to a championship after an injury or during an injury, I'd always be at there. And so I know it's kind of that sense of keeping the body focused on what you really want or the or not just the body if it's not your industry. Yeah, yeah keeping your mind focused on what you want to achieve. Because most people know their trade or their industry or know their job really yeah. well. Yeah. You just get doubts or when somebody puts you down. You know, in sport, it's quite black and white, isn't it? You win or you lose. So in my world, I'll get my medal or I don't. Yeah. People won't know and don't know the behind the scenes of what got you to that medal or didn't. Mm. In work, it's very subjective. Somebody's telling you you're good or you're not. And I don't like that, you know, because it's like, you know, I want clarification. I want yeah. to see that I'm yeah, good at something, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, so, yeah, so I, I had I, I had lots of injury problems and lots of dark moments where you just think, oh, never going to get back. But I had hope because I had a dream. And I think that's the strongest part of anything that I went through is that point where, OK, I can keep going. I really like the idea of one thing's not working, like physically your knee isn't working, your ankle. But you can do other stuff. And I think that can be really translated into other people having blank moments. Okay, I, I can't get out of bed today, mm. but I can open my laptop and write 200 words on a book I'm working on. Yeah, you know I mean, something like that. There are, maybe there are other things you can do that's away from that thing that maybe then pulls you away. Pulls you, but yeah, I think there is because I think you, you know, if your mindset is only focused on that one thing and you only think to achieve that outcome is only one moment. It's not really true, is it? Because like for me to run around a track, it wasn't that I just had to be able to be a good runner. I had to train for months and years. I had to be dedicated to that movement. I had to bring myself up. I had to push through the barriers. I had to train really well and effective. I had to fly away. I had to be away from home. It's all those things that contribute yeah. to being actually the successful runner. Mm. It's not just that I can run, but yeah, yeah but I've got to run well. Mm. You know, so there's lots of other things that contribute to it. And had I not done the ice baths, if I not eaten well, not slept well, not got up, not trained, 
I would never have been the good runner. So I think in anyone in else's industry, you know what you do and how you get to your best goal and best version of yourself and your best moment. But actually think about the other bits. So when I was, if I put it back into sport, if I was injured, I could do all of my core stability, all my rehab and do all the things that I totally neglect when I'm running well. Because all I want to do is run. You know what I mean? I don't want to be sitting there doing those little pulsy mo- movements because I want to be sweating. Yeah. But actually it gave, gives you moments to go back on things that actually you may be in our world where we're just doing doing. And I think that's, again, in any industry, sometimes, like I say, you just go through life just rushing, 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 rushing. How many times do you take this time to yeah. reflect Mainly when something's gone wrong. Yeah. But why don't we take that conscious decision in life to take one step back and go, hold on, and breathe and just go, mm, actually, yeah. that's not the direction, or I'm only going this because I'm being pulled to it, or actually, do you know what? I'm missing something here. I'm not yeah. looking. Well, I'm just going to focus on this thing today and just dial it back a little bit. Yeah, and I think that's a positive thing for people to do because just to take that time to look at themselves and go, hmm. Because there's so many other opportunities that you might be missing something along mm. the way that will take you from this level to the next really quick. Yeah. <laughs> What's it? I've always, with Olympics, I've always thought it must be so hard. You've trained it's every four years, and you train yeah. like you were saying up, and everything goes towards this one moment. And then if you don't win, or you get knocked out on a heat or the semis or something, that must be quite a difficult moment because you've spent so. No footballers <laughs> get a new game each week. Mm-hmm. A new season each season. Mm. But for Olympians, it must be difficult. Yeah, it's hard uh, because, you know, that time in the diary, that date in the year is not going to move for you if you're not ready. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's not, it's not no. like doing a presentation or being in a company and going, oh, we're not quite ready to you know, put that Yeah, let's. You know, it's like there. It's yeah. there. You've just got to do it. Um, which almost is a good thing because there's pressure and it's a timeline and you've got to just get that moment right rather than yeah. keep moving the goalposts. Sometimes I think you need a definitive moment yeah. to yeah. go right by then and nothing else. Um, but yeah, I suppose because I had Commonwealth Games, European Champs, World Champs and Olympic in a four-year cycle. So it's like anything, you know, strategize four years. It's where do your brain go in four years' yeah. time? It's hard, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. You can have the vision that you want to do it in that time, but it's, you know, you've got to have some smaller kind of goals, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. So, like, we had a yearly thing, and then our training was broke down into mine was like sort of cycles, off season, on season, and then preparation. And then we had championships, uh, other championships like national championships and Grand oh, yeah. Prix. So there were other things mm. to go to. To you know, you have to get qualified for a, for the major champs first, so you have to build up to that. So yeah, it was slightly just. You end up just in the life of whatever that cycle is, isn't it, really? Let's face it. But as an athlete, I suppose it's hard because if the moment doesn't come and you are injured at that time, it's, you, you don't know if you're ever going to get that moment. I mean, I was 26 at my first Olympic Games, still in the Army, as I said, and I ended up in the 1,500 metres coming fourth, getting pipped by at the thickness of the jumper, which is really thin for those that can't see it. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a hair. Yeah. And... Um, I was so gutted in one way, like thinking, oh my God, you know, I was 26 and I, oh God, if anyone actually knows me, I hate aging thing. I hate it. Mm. I was depressed at 30, 40, Jesus. <laughs> Next year, oh my God. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, <laughs> so 26, I was thinking, that could be my last chance. And I was told to go home. I basically flew over to Tallahassee, our holding camp. I'd done a really brilliant session. I was definitely one of the best in the world. I really had the chance of meddling. 
not many people knew me, but I'd already doubled world title, uh, world medals the year before, mm. and I said the Commonwealth Games European champs. I was already at that level. Yeah. So I flew over. They said to me, you're going to have to go home, because I had a scan. You're going to have to go home. And I was like, I can't. You know, what, like, you know, what if I never get to Olympic Games? I said, what's the choice? And they said, well, if you run and you fall, the way that your stress factor is, you might break your leg completely. So that's the risk. I said, I'll take the risk. Because I thought, well, I might not ever get the chance again. You know, yeah. I don't want to go there going, well, I went nearly there and then I yeah. went home. Yeah. And then I never, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Only. So I ran and I came fourth. I was wow. having injections into the bone site. I was crying my eyes up before the final because they'd hit the bone. Oh. And there was emotional oh. thinking... If, I, you know, if this didn't go wrong, I would have been at like, top game. So there was yeah. like one emotional pressure and then physical pain and it was all those things. And I came fourth and I was so gutted at the time. And I remember being in the physio when uh, Denise Lewis came in with her bronze medal. I was thinking, bitch. Because yeah. you know, like, I'm so gutted, you know yeah. what I mean? But not in a bad way. Yeah. Just thinking, oh, that could have been me because yeah. I just got pipped. Anyway. She went in Portaloo 1, that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Yeah, I didn't even think about the bloody Portaloo's back then. <laughs> but then I kind of just thought to myself, you know, I hobbled back and I was on crutches. I go back to my barracks and I was yeah. just like, but I come fourth at an Olympic Games with a stress factor. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what? That has to mean I'm one of the best in the world. And that's what helped move me forward. So when I say to people, like, think of that moment where actually you just go, you do have, even when you're feeling negative, if you think back to the time when you think, God, actually, um, I couldn't, yeah. you know, whatever, whenever that was. So I had those moments. So, you know, so that drove me to come out the following year, break the British record that stood by t for 12 years by Zola Budd, the South mm. African barefoot runner that, oh, like, yeah. literally took over every medal yeah. she, uh, uh, record because she was brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And I thought to myself, I'm, I, I can do this. I'm good enough. So I broke that British record, made me five seconds faster than anyone else in the world that year. I went to the World Championships, had a niggle in my Achilles tendon. Went to actually went to Germany two weeks before because I had an Achilles tendon niggle. And I kept thinking to myself, I'm five seconds faster than anyone else in the world. I can do this. Like, yeah. you know, I'm going to turn up yeah. And, yeah. And, and run. First day of the first championships, women's heats completely ruptured my calf from inside, outside, tore my Achilles. In Athens, this was. Oh. Told, that's it. Told my career was over because it was so bad, the thing. And I was like, mm mm. I can be five seconds faster than anyone else in the world. <laughs> you know, I'm like on this. Yeah. So I went through that. And that was a driver for me. Yeah. You know, when I was 30, I went to my second Olympic Games, told I wouldn't get there, had 12 centimetre tear in my calf. I thought, well, I this is where I knew about training. I thought, well, that's my calf. But what about the rest of it? Yeah. Heart and lungs, body, strong, you know, everything else. So I ended up going in the port, pool with a buoyancy best on, simulating running training in a deep end, stepper, cross trainer, rower, weight, circuit trainer. I was so strong because I did so much more than yeah. I could have done if I just ran around a track for mm -hmm. a few seconds. I'd take two days off or something. Yeah. So I came out six weeks of running before those championships only, and I won a bronze medal at Olympic Games final. And it was always proof to me that if you just stay with it, just might have to change a little bit, yeah. might have to change your mindset and your approach and your attitude to things, but if you still keep that one goal there, you can get round it in a different way. Yeah. And in sport, that's how I learned to get round it. Just think, well, okay, I can't run, but I can do, and I know yeah, how yeah, to yeah. run, I know how to race. And that was the sort of driver. And I kept that going. And that was the, the emotive bit and the passion and the real discipline. But then in two, uh, 2003, when I was 33, that got on top of me. And that's when I first got really bad with my 
um, mental health problems because I had breakdown, depression, self-harm, suicide thoughts, didn't want to be here, hated everything about myself because everything was just seemed to... It was almost like I felt cursed. I was like, I keep getting there and then something's taken yeah. away and then I get it and something's taken away and then I'm on a high and a low. It's like really weird position. Yeah. And I think that's because you we all could take on so much pressure on ourselves and if we don't know how to express it or don't know how to tell someone because we feel like they're going to judge us we kind of get so caught up in our own little web that actually then we snap and I snapped at that point because I didn't know how to talk to her I didn't even know what I was going through at that time but I was already getting ready for world championships as well that year and within this period of time that I was at my worst I it was half of me literally was felt like it was dying. Half of it was like, but I'm living for my dream. Yeah. And I went to those world championships and I got a, a silver medal. No one knew what I was going through. No yeah. one knew I was crying my eyes out each night. No one knew I was cutting myself. No one knew anything. And I stood on that yeah. restroom and that was almost the most empowering moment that I ever had for myself to think, if I can go through all of this and be at the depths of despair, it's never going to get this worse again because I'm at it, yet I'm still... I'm still winning medals. And that was my biggest change in and flip side for 2004. Because yeah. I realise now that actually whatever's going to happen is going to come. But I fought for all this. I'm not going to give up now. Yeah. And that was it. And I, always, I believe in fate and destiny now, only because I'm the other side of it. But now I just think, like, clearly I was meant to do this. But I feel like I was more meant to do... I actually feel my destiny wasn't winning two gold medals, if I was on, honest with you. I feel it's what I do now on stage, trying to inspire people, motivate mm. people, talk about mental health in a real open, transparent, humanising society and normalising conversation way. Yeah. Because actually that's what gets people to change their thing now, not me running around the track. That's an inspiration and everyone loves a bit of, ah, you know, putting videos on and I still go, go on, Kelly! It's 15 Come years on, later, yeah. but go on, Kelly! Or 14 years later. But um, I've, I like the fact that actually I have been for the journey yeah. because of what I do now. Yeah, that's amazing that you achieved so much then, mm. having, go, having gone through those Yeah, those we're moments. going in the midst of it and still... Performing and it was really weird because at the press at the time we were all like on about you know because you used to train with a girl called Maria Matola, one of the best middle distance runners in the world, and we trained together for a year just because I've knew her since like 1993 or something. Both trained in South Africa, and there's always this thing you know, especially in running when two people in the same team are you helping each other tactically well, and I was like you you can carry on with your conversation, but you have no idea. I didn't care. It was almost like these things like it was like a vision of I don't actually care about anyone or anything mm. anymore. And no I'm one. Just, no, no one, one knew. knew. No. Didn't tell anyone. You didn't have an outlet for, for it. Cutting myself. Yeah. 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 Wasn't good. But, but you didn't have, there was no one, like, team, you never felt like you could talk to anybody within didn't your... Didn't know how to, yeah. because, like, you know, when you're on a physio bed and you're getting pummeled, mm. elbows and, you know, kind of needles, acupuncture and, you know, the... Mm. Phys stuff that they do I mean yeah. you're crying anyway because you're in pain <laughs> you know what I mean yeah, yeah. and I'm really sort of asked like how does it make you feel that you're going through this when you're on the brink of mm. real success but like hold on you might not get there or yeah. but, you know your career's over but that's your dream no one really sort of communicated I suppose in that way so you never really had a voice and I just didn't know I didn't know about I never knew anyone else that sort of had breakdowns and actually mm. when you're in it it's like it's weird blackness yeah. 
So I didn't want to call my friends and my family because they would worry. My mum would say, come home. Mm. You know, and I didn't yeah, want to, yeah. you know, I couldn't tell at the time my training partner and my coach because they were all, everything was going really well for them. And, you know, Maria Matoli went and won that championship. Yeah, you know, yeah. I didn't want to be a negative thing on that because I would just sort of cope with it and dealt with it. But the thing, I think the most empowering thing is one I say about people talking, talking effectively, yeah. but communicating and telling people what's going on is really important now because we're in the world and society where we can yeah. but what I did tell my team is I just need your help you know I need my physio don't let me get injured I'm yeah. stalking you you know I need my training partner to be best training partner he could be be there run with me be better than me because I can chase you and you'll make me better you know it's all those sort of things that I yeah. kind of asked for mm. and it all came right and asking for help <laughs> it helps People can help, can't they? Mm. People are there to help, and people will help, and people want to yeah. as well. Yeah. You know, people, people look. People always. How do I put this? Like you don't realize how much people love you and want to support you until you ask for it. That's that's absolutely true. And there's always someone that anybody can talk to, and it doesn't matter with your male, female, what you do, what you don't do, and especially men. You know, because you know there's massive high suicide rates of men because of not feeling they can talk because of that whole kind of male bravado. And that, you know, how people are going to judge you or whatever. And I just don't think society, we're at a better place now mm. where we know that we can actually start to just say it as it is. Because I'm telling you, when you do, somebody else will come out and go, do you know what, actually, I've had a bit of struggle as well. And, you know, it, you realise you're not on your own. Yeah. Um, I think that's important. Do you think yeah, the athletics talk. community is better at that stuff now, though, with athletes who are have going through those sort of moments I think you know, particularly they, with injuries because that yeah. is obviously yeah I think they recognise the need for it now I mean I'm sure there's more sports that are better at it than others like mm -hmm. in anything um, you know because they've always had sports psychologists but that's not what you need no. when you're in that place sports yeah. psychologists is if I'm like feeling like every time I go out I'm going to be sick because I can't get on that start line yeah. and they're helping you cope through that journey that's not what you need when you need somebody to support an emotive or emotional state so I think they've started to recognise it, and definitely some sports are better than others. Yeah, mm. I know in football actually, the, the clubs are starting to bring in counsellors more. Well, if you're well, you know, like we've said, if you're out long term with a long term, you know, football, injury, yeah, yeah in football particularly, I was thinking, yeah, that is really demoralising, isn't it? When you're particularly if you're seeing everyone else doing well, all your teammates, all your teammates, your friends, yeah, yeah. Um, very frustrating. There's know. also other things like in life generally. So in mm. army, you get a you know, you're sort of in a bubble, I suppose, structured career, and then people leaving, mm -hmm. coming yeah. to Civvy Street, that's a hard time for a lot yeah. of um, veterans, and that's why you see a lot of homelessness and suicide, unfortunately, and a lot of problems with uh, veterans, PTSD and all of that. But then you've got people in careers that have been in long-term careers. That's what they've known. They've gone through the structure of a company or yeah. whatever it is and then they're coming either up to retirement or they get you know released from their job or whatever it is and then suddenly like that identity loss yeah. is really hard and same in sport you know I think that's a big thing that people don't take on that sense of identity for people that are in solid positions and in jobs that actually they know what they're doing what's expected of them they wake up in the morning they go to the job they do their thing mm. you know and when it comes towards the end of it suddenly it's like uh, what am I going to do yeah. who am I yeah. how do I do that's where you get a lot of people worried as well I think we've got lots of different groups of people essentially we're all the same 
like I said, oh, go and, through and, life and, and, trying and, to just do our thing. And, and we're, we're, we're creatures <laughs> of habit, aren't yeah. we? So yeah. when those things like routines and stuff are met, messed mm. up, yeah. then, then it, we struggle. Especially when it's linked to like a purpose. If you feel like you've got a purpose, this is what I do. I'm contributing to society. I'm doing my thing. I'm good at it. And then that gets taken away. It's almost like you've got, where, where do I put all my efforts and my things into now? Mm. It sort of takes away your purpose in a way. Yeah, I just think people just need to, if we're all a bit more real about actually what life is, yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's brilliant, let's face it. Like, oh, look at us, we're doing this, you know. What a great opportunity, really, do these type of things. Mm, yeah. We may take them for granted. And then sometimes it's just shit. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you're still riding the wave and as long as you can make most of it good, you can drag through the others, isn't it? But I think it's just allowing people to start to talk and to realise about life, like bereavement. No one talks about bereavement. So how do you know how you're going to feel about it? No mm. one talks about it. Mm. And when my mum died two years ago, that was the worst time of my life ever, regardless of everything I've gone through and my mental health problems, that was the worst day of mm. my life. You know, and you don't know what to expect. You can't. You can't actually tell someone what it's going to be like because we all will deal with it yeah, in a different way. Yeah, yeah. But it's the same thing of having people just being able to talk about their grief or what that means and loss and having knowing you've got someone to, who's going to listen yeah. and they're never going to feel it. They're never going to feel the emotion, feel the pain in you, but actually having an outlet to talk. And this is where I changed my way of talking was that, because my friends and family were really upset that I didn't tell them about what was happening until I wrote it in my autobiography. <laughs> Great way to read it. Um, <laughs> I always promised them that whenever I needed their help, I would call, text or whatever. And that sometimes, not, not recently, but a few years ago, I text one mate at like two o'clock in the morning. I just said, I just need your help like right now because I feel like I'm going to do something. And it wasn't about being a burden or... Or, yeah. and it wasn't about kind of being dramatic about something like, oh, you know, I just need because yeah, yeah. some people feel like they think that oh, they think that the person that you're maybe calling is think, oh, she's tension or yeah. she needs something. It wasn't about no. tension. I just knew one, my friend said, never suffer on your own. Two, don't feel like a burden and free to me to accept that me asking for the help wasn't an outlet to just. To, be there for me it was like I need your help yeah and yeah. I remember and it just literally came and when my mum passed away my friends my family were brilliant they were saying like just come out come for a meal come to whatever we could just talk you know and I was crying every day for three weeks until my mum was finally buried every day I was seeing such a mess I couldn't go out of the house I didn't want to go out in society because if somebody didn't know about my mum they would ask for an autograph if somebody did know about my mum they would ask how she was or sorry to hear she's she's yeah. passed away and I didn't want to hear it so for three weeks I cocooned in like my house but my friends and family came round you know and sometimes you laugh because you do because of your mates and sometimes you just sit there crying and cuddling. But it was just that moment was so special because I realised the purpose in being able to tell someone you need their help. Yeah. And it so helped me just cope with that period of time. And that, so that I'd always is, say that to people. That person's not going to judge you. No. They're not going to think you're attention-seeking. Mm -mm. And even if they don't understand what you're going through or the emotional pain, mm. that doesn't matter because they're no. just there to listen. Yeah. yeah, and they can see your suffering. Yeah. And so sometimes in those moments you want something practical. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. you know, someone to go to the shop for you or whatever it might be, yeah. just to 
take away that other thought. That Even you, someone run in the bath and say, right, yeah, okay, yeah. get yourself in the bath because yeah. you stink. Yeah, Because yeah, <laughs> yeah. then you're like, oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah sorry I about mean, that. And like, you know, sort your hair out because you're stepping outside, you wouldn't go yeah. out with your hair like that. So yeah. don't do it in front of us, you know. <laughs> and it's just that putting perspective back into the thing. And they're not trying to make you feel better in terms of, oh, it's okay and to laugh. You know, yeah. and I think that's the thing is people realising that you're just at some stage some just need help sometimes. Yeah. And I've always yeah. thought, I mean, I've, I've, I've lost both my parents and I, th- mm. I think grief's a bit of a journey and sometimes you do need people to come alongside you on that journey. Mm-hmm. Cause, and sometimes you feel like you can only go on that journey alone, mm. but actually you do, you do need people to come alongside yeah, you. I think it. everybody just feels a bit so different. Yeah. I think you just need to find a way at some stage. There's got to be a point you have to open up. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, if you just stay inside yourself for too long, then there's going to have an adverse effect. But no one can tell you when to feel better. No one can tell you when to laugh or cry. You just go through it. And then finally, you'll find your feet and life carries on, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. Well, it does. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's always there. I mean, for me, always it's always there. there. Always it's there. always there. But every yeah. picture or video, you see that orb. There she is. Yeah. <laughs> or if yeah, you do something different, you're going like, yeah. oh, geez. <laughs> That's yeah. <her. laughs> yeah, I mean, I lost my mum when I was six. So I was really wow. young. but and, and it never goes away. But, no. but it does get better, mm. you know. And you start to develop those memories in a different way um, yeah I think so, yeah. change a little bit of yourself as well yeah like I would never know how to feel like you know how, how you do um losing your mum at that age must be awful and but and then I suppose so my mum had me when she was 17 so we've had a long long life yeah. <laughs> together sort yeah, of yeah. thing really close and lots of things happened when I was younger and lots of mm. ups and downs and then you know when you see somebody's crying said they're too young to die and all that it's just like wow those little things that go in your head mm. and then you actually think do you know what you have no idea what's going to go on in your life so no. make the most of what you do have when you have it yeah. and you know still be tough or whatever but sometimes you have to just believe that it makes you stronger and I ended up thinking to myself one of the things that made me think was that and I don't know if anyone listening has this those little moments but if they've gone through this relatively the same thing is mm. I remember I was talking all the time to my hairdresser I was like oh I just feel like I'm you know conforming a bit and doing whatever I want there my mum's funeral I was like take that off I had hair shaved at the sides I rocked up at the um rocked up the funeral and was like oh my god like <laughs> yeah. and I was like I don't care I'm going to be me now yeah. I don't yeah. want to conform I'm going to be who I want to be how I want to look I'm still the same person with the same values same beliefs still work hard and still care about lots of people it shouldn't matter how I look Mm. Whereas before I kept thinking, oh, you know, because you're in the public eye, I've always got to wear the long dresses, always got to have long hair like everyone yeah. else. And I thought, why? Because yeah. that's not me. I'm not happy being yeah. that. Yeah, exactly. So now I'm more happier just because of I've taken control of who I am because yeah. I feel like I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow yeah. in my life. So I think some people should look at it in a positive way that you can actually gain something about yourself when you've gone through a bad moment, whatever absolutely. it is, yeah, to yeah. regain who you really want to be. Yeah. And be proud of who you want to be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's absolutely, that's really cool. And as you were saying earlier, that we are sort of creatures of habit, I think we are also social creatures. So we we have a uh, desire to connect to people and be together. And so in those mm. difficult moments, that that connection is more important than ever. Yeah, mm. honestly it is. I think it's the best thing you can ever have. And you know who your mates and that are through those moments yeah. as well. Yeah. And that's actually quite an empowering thing because yeah. you can get rid of the riffraff and yeah. keep hold of the good. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> you can be surprised sometimes actually who the people that are that, 
that actually do step up in those moments. Yeah, I had some great people who I didn't even know, to be honest with you, who have become really good friends. So people sort of in industry, people like a PT that was up in Seven Oaks, he just knew I was suffering watching my Instagram, said, Kel, do you want to come up for a session? And I now see him all the time. He just yeah. takes me and... Whenever you see the post, because I'm quite on my post, I'm like, I either do motivational or I just tell it as it is. I'm mm-hmm. down, I'll tell people, you know. And he just said, do you, do you want to come up? And I was like, actually, thank you so much. Because that was just a different yeah. person. Didn't yeah. have to talk about how I was feeling. He just noticed. And keeping fit, obviously, is one of those ways that you yeah, can help course, yourself yeah, yeah. with a mental health problem. So I was kind Definitely. of like... You know, like, yeah, and we've become really good friends, you know, mm. and I had a boxing girl who's, um, you know, who's become a great friend who was actually a world, uh, went before, like, all the professionals yeah, sort of yeah. boxing came. Kathy Brown, and she said, she fancy coming up for a boxing class, even if you want to get the question out. And yeah. I was just like, oh, they're going, oh, And she's a great mate, you know, and there's people, people that stepped up, and I was never really open to other people. I've always been quite a little bit of a closed book, my mates are my mates, and that's yeah, it. Yeah. I have all my life. And then suddenly I'm just thinking, well, you can be a bit more open with people. They're not yeah. judging you. It doesn't matter. They're still going to, they're either going to know, I'm quite a big intuition on people. Like, they either want to be your mate and help you because they just generally want to help or they want to help you because of your name. Yeah, yeah. And I've yeah, made sort yeah. of probably five people who generally are just so solid generally and they become out, really yeah. good friends yeah. and then vice versa. You know, and it's just been so nice to kind of get that sense of, oh, actually, there are really nice people there in are. the world, yeah. you know. There, there are, are yeah. really yeah. nice people in the world. Exactly. <laughs> also, I used to work in Seven Oaks. Did you? Did you? Oh, I thought these connections were going. It's so good hearing all these Kent names. Where was that? Where was that? I used to work at the paper, the Courier. Did you? Oh, the Courier. Oh, my God. And they got the Chronicles, aren't they? Seven Oaks Chronicle. And the Courier's Tumbridge. Yeah, yeah, that's it. The Chronicles. Which one's the better paper, though? The Chronicle was like a step up. Was it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Because that's seven eights, not Tunbridge. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, it's so nice being another Kent person. This is great. <laughs> shout out to people from Kent. Yay, shout out. Um, we like to round off the pod by asking our guests about what how they deal with blank moments. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm going to just... Sorry. Um... So many jump calls. Um, yeah, so asking about um, their, how they deal with blank moments. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's an interpretive <laughs> term, the blank thing, um, and can be yeah, and can be interpreted in lots of different ways. But yeah, how 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 do you deal with those just moments? like a bit of advice from yeah. listeners, sort of to round off? Oh, God, <laughs> now I've been asked one. Um, <laughs> cut this bit. <laughs> um, how do you deal with blank moments? So that blank is anything, yeah. is it? Well, like we've okay. discussed some all, of those difficult moments. All of our things that we've yeah. discussed. Okay. Um, I, I probably would go back to saying that find those moments where actually you were who you wanted to be, like yeah. the driver or the visioner or the, you know, your motivator or your goal. Remember those things when it's all going horribly wrong. Yeah. Um and then maybe from that, just reevaluate how you start to bring some of those things back into play. Don't think that that blank moments is the end. Like, I have no idea who I am, what I'm doing, how I go. To find something that actually made you feel good. I mean, also, I have to say, on, oh, it's so hard, this one, isn't it? Blank moments. Because it could be anything. I could talk about yeah, a million blank moments. Exactly. You know what I mean? Well, just yeah. a blank, like, oh, geez, you know, who am I? What am I doing? 
what am I going to watch tonight? <laughs> what's, <laughs> on di- what's on dinner? I can't yeah. remember that. <laughs> I can't think. But if it's in the if it's in the realm of what I talk about, it's about remembering to pat yourself on the back on those moments when you are doing really well because you can remember those on the m- moments that you're not yeah. doing so well in yourself. Yeah. Just remember, we all, you all have, everybody has really, really good qualities and better than the next person that's someone else or has a chance to change if only they look for it and have the opportunities. And they can be small or big, it doesn't matter, but open your eyes up. But in those moments, look after yourself and remember that other people can look after you too. Yeah, that I love sounds that. very good. That's perfect. Well, you often say one of Jim's catchphrases on this podcast is giving yourself the win. Give yourself the win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you or go. give yourself the W, as the kids say these days. Or just shout, "Come on!" Come yeah, on. come on! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the way. To do it. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, Dame Kelly Holmes, thank you so much for being on the Rank Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. said she was a legend didn't we oh love dame kelly she's so nice she's really nice and it was a very easy person to talk to i i I was sort of i was imagining being at one of her sort of inspirational talks actually and you can imagine how she would get through to people and sort of connect with an audience and just some great stories you know someone that's really been there and done it at the very top and it's still really sort of humble with it yeah and and was very candid about you know the more difficult moments she's had in her life you know when she's gone through poor form and you know those times where she um ended up um self-harming mm. and you know and all those kind of moments which have, have been difficult for her you know losing the mum as well recently and um it was really really um kind of her to sort of open up about those things and, you know big, i think big appreciation to uh, uh, yeah and as well it's, it's important when people like that who are so legendary and have done so well do open up about those moments because it you know, we know there are people listening to this podcast that are going through all sorts of things and, you know, yeah. people tweet us about it as well. So I think that helps people relate yes, to, absolutely. you know, people like Kelly who have, sorry, Dame Kelly, who have um, yeah. who have done so well and been so successful. So yeah. thank you so much, yeah, uh, Dame Kelly, for coming on. It was a real treat to sit down with her. really was. And that's our 50th podcast. It is, done. 50, number 50. Wow. Now hundreds the next. Yeah. We yeah. can do it, Charles. Who are we going to get for the 100th pod? Mm. Mm. We'll work on it. We've had some pretty amazing... I mean, to we fair, have, yeah, there's yeah. a few people that I'd think, oh, we should get them for the 100th. Already had them. Yeah, exactly. I so know, I know. It's tricky, isn't it? We'll, we'll see what trying happens. trying to better ourselves each week, but, you know, it's hard. <laughs> it sounds like a football player. Yeah. You know, we're taking it one pot at a time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you for listening. We're, we're not doing the social handles. We, we did that at the start. We did, yeah. So You should be subscribing. That's yeah. the only thing. If I you haven't subscribed by now, then... Yeah. What are you doing? Tell all your friends and family. Please tell your friends. Because yeah. I think they'll enjoy it. I think they would. Yeah. If you do, then yeah. hopefully they you will. You don't find us too irritating. <laughs> don't we have great guests. Don't let them answer that. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you again soon. Goodbye. Media Podcast.